0: Hello, everyone. This is Tunes, episode 59. And um, I can't believe I'm actually doing this. This is, uh, this is quite crazy because this is one of my favourite composers of all time. Now, um... <laughs> oh, he chimes in. Um, yeah, um, Jason Graves, where do I even begin? I mean, I'm not going to... I'm going to try and steer away from a lot of the 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 sort of the questions that seem to have come come before well at least I'm going to try Jason please stop me if um, <laughs> if, if, if I do tend to uh, ramble on um, but this guy is so prolific I I would certainly say if you've played any well if you've played games from the sort of well recently the PS3 360 PS4 Xbox One PC era you will have no doubt heard some of this gentleman's work and he is a gentleman of course he's um arguably well not necessarily most well known for dead space but certainly that's right up there most recently there's man of medan there's the absolutely wonderful mars i don't actually have ps4 vr yet but i've been listening to the soundtrack and already it's one of my favorite soundtracks and it's an absolute thrill to have him here so without further ado how are you my good man
1: I'm I'm blushing a little bit. You were incredibly, <laughs> incredibly generous with your accolades, and I do well, I do appreciate that.
0: You've won two Baftas. <laughs> you've won two Baftas. You've been nominated for countless awards. You've won you know countless others aside from the Baftas. But obviously, being a Brit, you know we have to get that in there. You know. Yeah, of um, course. Two of which for for Dead Space, of course. Um, now. First things first, I'm not going to go into your backstory because there are, now there's this weird thing, right, with podcasts where um, I feel like there's some kind of obligation where we have to start at the beginning and it's like, oh, how do you get into (laughs) game composing and things like that, but you've spoken about that at length uh, with- yes. Lots of others, and and, and I think you, you know th- this isn't a competition. I think podcasts are for the for the you know the good of the world, and there are real you know real amazing podcasters out there who have um, have already covered this. But what I'm interested in, first of all, let's jump right into it. You're one of the few composers who have got a YouTube channel who actually goes you know sort of deep dive into uh, the compositional process, and I'm more interested in why did you decide to sort of start that
1: what a great question, Jamie. Good job. You've done your research.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> actually, before you answer, can I just say it's got some of the best thumbnails as well. The videos have got some oh, of the best yeah. thumbnails I've ever seen.
1: Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so. I actually I, I put I put a lot of thought into uh, both the name of the channel, which is Audio Arc, and how I wanted those thumbnails to look. Um, it was It was one of those things where I sort of was either going to go the normal way, which everyone else, you know, they always show pictures of gear or, you know, it's called, you know, like game music online or, you know, the more kind of generic sort of expected kind of thing. But if anybody knows me uh, personally or has seen me speaking, I have lots of animals. Uh, I told you before we started recording, I'm in a fairly remote area, we're on about, 30 acres of property, and we're surrounded by farmland outside of that. So we've got lots of animals outside, lots of animals inside. Not farm animals, but, you know, chickens and ducks and parrots and tortoises and uh, snakes <laughs> and dogs and cats and bearded dragons. The and usual. uh yeah. yeah. Yeah, just the usual <laughs> menagerie, if you're Dr. Doolittle, I guess. But I love the idea of somehow incorporating the animals into the channel and... Um, because they're a part of my life every day. I mean, at least two hours a day I'm spending with these animals, plus the ones that are just running around in the studio anyway. Um, so I love the idea of incorporating that and sort of making it uh, you know, unique. I thought I should treat the channel the way I try to treat my music and, and make it personal to me, and by extension of that, it would automatically have a bit of an identity beyond just another YouTube channel.
0: that you highlight cubase as um as your well you've highlighted past tense um cubase as main daw but right. you, you but you use a lot of others don't you You use pro tools for sort of um what would i be right in saying to finalize some of some of your craft and you also if, use, if uh, i have I to mean, <laughs> I, Well, <laughs> how would you in terms of starting a project like um where would you start from would you start in cubase because i know you use ableton as well don't you um, Right. Well, I suppose it depends on the on the project, really. It does. um, It 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 really does.
1: Um, like I jumped into Ableton because I was doing an incredibly interactive score, and I was actually authoring it as well in um in in Wise, uh, doing all the music implementation. Mm. And Ableton has some great. Things with their clips where you can set it to randomize or to chain or to, you know, reverse backwards and forwards or whatever. And it was a really nice way to be able to test essentially in real time without having to drop it into Wise first where I can still manipulate the MIDI and the audio and be in composing world. In Ableton, and kind of see how everything was going to work, and then go back and tweak, and then tweak the clips some more, and then go tweak the MIDI or the audio. And then, once it all sounded the way I wanted from an interactive standpoint, and what I mean is like hitting play on a 20 second loop and just letting it loop for five minutes and listening to the way Ableton is shuffling the clips to try to yeah. get that, you know, non repetitive kind of thing going, um, then I would export it and plug it into WISE with the exact same. Uh, you know, points of intermodulation and randomization and everything. So, Ableton was really more of a stepping stone to Wise, which is a, a third party interactive audio, not just music, but interactive audio platform that um, there's one of uh, maybe four now that different game companies use. And I used it on a couple yeah. of other games at that time just because I was completely in Ableton. So it was, it was easy for me to just transfer over and, um, and use it. But normally I default to Cubase because of the power it has and how it can handle really big templates. Um, Pro Tools is by necessity, if I need to mix something that has come from a scoring stage, like at Skywalker or, or Air Studios or Abbey Road, they're all recording in Pro Tools. And if I'm doing any post after that, I'll open up Pro Tools, but that's more like a requirement. Um, that's not my natural habitat, if that makes sense.
0: How was your first sort of interaction with Wise? I mean, you know, there's f and there's, like you say, there's there's other things as well. How was it sort of transitioning to using that sort of platform? I mean, was it fairly? I, I'm asking this for uh, for the benefit of um, any you know sort of budding composers out there. I mean, how easy was it sure. to sort of get you know get into Wise and you know middleware tools in, in general?
1: wise especially which is to be honest the only one I've messed with but they have this free program where you can download everything for free the app and all that stuff they have tutorials you can take for free and you can become either one or two kind of phases of proficiency quote unquote and I did the I did the phase 1 or the the level 1 or whatever they call it which was basically enough to be dangerous and it's, it's basically like learning a new DAW. If you've used one and then you need to switch to another one, you know what you want it to do, and you just need to learn kind of how this new program calls that thing. It's like, I just need it to randomize, but how do I get it to do that? And then once you figure it out, it's a, it's pretty straightforward. And I actually found myself composing in wise with all of these different stems and variations and things, because you can mute things and have things come back in or fade up or fade down, or you can also automate by extension of the parameters of the game, um, you know, like reverb or distortion or delay. So a lot of times, you know, if your health is getting low, let's say you could automate um, a filter to thin out the mix and maybe add some distortion. So there's a lot of stuff that just a composer sitting in Cubase or Pro Tools or Ableton or anything like that, just you don't have your hands on those tools because that's being driven by the game engine. So it's really something... It's honestly the first thing I would recommend anyone doing who wanted to get into games is to tackle some of those third-party implementation programs and really get your mind around how they work.
0: Yes, I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to highlight them and uh, middleware, well, middleware tools in general is just because I think a lot of people out there just think of them as a means to get the music and the audio into the game. They don't realize just how, um, you know, sort of expansive a, a tool set they are. Um, and, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to write a paper um, with a tutor from university. It's in a journal somewhere. And we um, we touched upon Dead Space, and your use of uh, middleware and, and fear emitters. So uh, I guess I just wanted to, you know, to highlight that, really.
1: It, absolutely. It's it's definitely something that is completely scalable. Um, the, the game I was working on was a big title, but uh, I was doing the implementation more out of necessity To make the music sound really good, then out of necessity for there being, you know, not enough budget for someone else to do it or not enough time or anything like that. Normally, if it's a really big game like Dead Space or or Tomb Raider or um, The Order was something that I did with Sony, there's a whole team of people who are in, in charge of implementing the music and... Everyone treats it a little differently. So they just wanna pat you on the back and say, The music sounds great, we're gonna do the implementation and then, you know, with feedback from you, once it's implemented, we'll make sure everything's gonna work. And then other ones, um, like Moss, for example, it was just the audio director and myself. He was doing all the sound effects and all the audio and music implementation and I was writing the music. So it was just the two of us working on everything and getting it, you know, it was very personal and and very stylized and the very close connection between the sound effects and the music. And he would sometimes send me sound effects for something before I started the music and I'd kind of determine the key of the music based on his sound effects or vice versa. He might pitch some sound effects to match the key of some music that I had already written for a certain level. And we were very back and forth, uh, We know, sharing movies once things were implemented. Um, That's why I recommend... Folks learn. I always say wise because that's what I did, and I know it's free and anyone can get their hands on it. But it's one of those universal applications where if you know that one, you can learn the other ones. It's just a matter of learning their terminology more than anything else. And it really is, it opens up a whole other world. Of what you can do with music and audio in games, so you're sort of a triple threat. If you can maybe record sound effects and then you know how to implement them as well, but you also write music and hey, you know how to implement that too. You're a much better chance of getting a gig if you're multifaceted.
0: I was I was going to say how many? Um, how, how did that come to be in terms of um, sound coding? Because as I understand it, there's um, you know. The, sound coders in terms of the people who implement those sounds of of which you've been part of with uh, with games how 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 did that come to be in terms of you being able to do that i mean was that sort of specified when when you were given the gig or 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 did you just work with the team and he was like right okay i would i would like to learn this or sort of no i want to be able to do this i mean how, how does that come about
1: it was definitely decided up front. It was the kind of thing that it was a big to do this game ended up being cancelled. This was maybe two years ago, but they uh they shipped a whole system a computer system down to my studio and even flew people down to set everything up. so the idea was when I opened up wise and started putting my music in there and you know and hooking it to different gameplay elements and changing the status of the randomization and everything, um, I would just hit a button and it would sync with the game company's server where they were and literally in another country. And you could just, you could hit play and play the game in real time. And I was synced up with everything that was happening with their daily builds. So it was wow. it was a bit complicated. Um, the easier way is either if you're on location and you're there with them, or at least in town and you can stop by, or the way I usually do it, is just by sending elements of music over the fence to the developer, and they implement it, and then they send me QuickTime movies of captured gameplay, and I can I can watch it and listen and give any feedback. Most of the time, the feedback is that sounds really cool. <laughs> <laughs>
0: now. Um Jumping forward to the big talk about uh, VR. Now, I know that uh, you've spoken about uh, VR before. I'm interested in VR. As I said at the start, I, I don't own any kind of VR equipment. And, and you've spoken before about, um, well, I should say people have asked you about whether there's any difference in composing uh, for a VR. Right. You know, you've... you've um, you know, you've sort of worked on a few games for VR. Of course, Moss was the, you know, the, the sort of arguably the most recent one. But I suppose the question is like, do you see, or rather, do you envisage there being some kind of, um, how can I put it? Like, um, do you see there being something extra that audio can bring to, to the VR space? Do you think there's some sort of untapped potential there that's waiting to be? Uh, be discovered by composers or do you think that it it, it's you know it's you would still compose in the same way
1: i think if you're talking about music it's for me at least it's more or less the same uh you know film versus tv versus games um it's sort of like jurassic park just because you could doesn't necessarily mean you should (laughs) <laughs> and everything being done tastefully and, and in moderation. I know yeah. there was a couple of instances in Moss where we did take advantage of you know the 3D space with the music, but it was only when I think there was a little tower that would glow red, and if you got too close to it, it would glow brighter. So there was a, you know, a, like a, a trilled instrument or something that I had recorded and Steven, the audio director attached that one specific instrument sound to the tower. So if you kind of ran around it and looked and, you know, it was like source music essentially, meaning that the audio in particular, that particular music sound was tied to the 3d spatial location audio wise in the game. Otherwise we would just do stereo music the same way we would, do for a film or for television. Um, I know there was a real famous example of this sort of back and forth, the realism of music and using it different ways. When um, Alfred Hitchcock was filming, I don't remember the film, but it was a scene in a lifeboat, and he was arguing with Bernard Herrmann in the spotting session that there shouldn't be any music in the scene because where would the orchestra be sitting? And Bernard Herrmann said, I'll tell you where the orchestra is sitting if you tell me where the camera is. 'Cause they were in the middle of the ocean. It's like right. You know, the, the camera's just floating in space, three feet above the yeah. ocean and on an invisible boat. So the the music is there to serve a purpose and it's not to call a lot of attention to itself. Woohoo, look at me, hey, look at what I can do. You know, or you, you turn your head and it sounds like the orchestra, you know, is in front of you and if you look to the right, then the orchestra's on you know, panning over to your left side. That's Yeah, that's a little too much of a a gimmick. I did do this one game called Farlands, which shipped Mm. with um, the first uh, PlayStation, like the initial, it was a free game that came with the initial launch of the PSVR thing. And um, that was all stereo music, but there was one level where you encountered these little bugs that would do this like barbershop quartet kind of singing thing. There were four little bugs that would come up and fly towards you and then kind of... move around and and kind of bounce in syncopation with... The music. So I wrote this little four part, I think like five or six songs with this four part harmony, and I did some beatboxing um, and, you know, like sang through kazoos and then pitched everything up. And it was delivered as four or five, I think, five individual stems, four part harmony and a beatbox. And that was tied in specifically to the bug. So if you went a little closer or if you turned around and walked away from them, the music would move with the, you know, the location of the bugs, because they were essentially source music.
0: Wow, okay.
1: Um,
0: <laughs> sorry, a little blown away <laughs> by that. A little, little tangent there, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 it's absolutely fine. I'm just, I'm just sort of digesting it. <laughs> um, now, moving on, in, in terms of um, orchestral music, of course, with game music, uh, there, w- there was this really interesting uh, tweet just a couple of days ago um from uh, Lena Rain who composed uh, Celeste and um she was saying about um how uh, she wished that the phrase um music has come a long way from bleeps and bloops you know sorry video game music <laughs> has come away <laughs> come a long way from yeah. bleeps and bloops and um and unfortunately I'm guilty of that because I did my master's thesis in video game music now we're talking what like Oh God! Uh, Fifteen years ago, something like that. There wasn't that much written on it, you know. You, you've got sure. no no end of authors and, and things like that. But anyway, going to the orchestral thing now. I uh, I understand that, um, of course, your music has actually been played by the London Philharmonic, hasn't it? Uh, with the video games live CD and yeah, there's there's
1: been um, there? there's been a bunch of different independent tours that have played it live. Um, and then the Philharmonia, specifically in London, is the one that I go to when I'm recording live orchestra in London. Regardless of the studio, I'm always contracting with the Philharmonia.
0: Yeah. And it was, wasn't that CD recorded at Abbey Road as well? Am I right in saying that?
1: Yes, yes. I know the one you're yeah. talking about, but I can't remember a specific, yeah. it was like the greatest video game music or something like yeah, that. Yeah,
0: sorry. There, there was- yeah, there was, there was there was tracks of yours, but there was other, you know, there was like uh, Tetris yeah. Skyrim and, you know, things
1: right. like that. Right, well. I think they had the main um, theme to Dead Space on there. One of these things wow. is not like the other. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I'll tell you what, um, just as a tangent, um, I remember playing Dead Space for the first time, and I'm guessing this is you, because, of course, you must have named the tracks, but finding out that the spoilers... Um, the first letter of each chapter, the you know the track of is it the track or is it just the name of the chapter? The first letter actually gives you a spoiler for the game. If you, if yes. you read them down, chapter one 2, I think it's thirteen. Is it? I think. Something of
1: course, like course it's thirteen. And, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it would make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, absolutely. I, I seem to recall. I remember this was years ago. I think it was about 2013. I went up to Edinburgh uh, with a friend of mine, uh, Gina, and we went to this um, games music conference. And there was, I think it was you and Grant Kirk, uh, Kirkhope. You were doing a Skype chat, and I actually answer, uh, asked you a question. This was obviously a long, long time ago. Um, right. But I think we, but I think we got, I think the conversation was more about what instruments you were collecting <laughs> at the time. <laughs> uh, and um, and, I, I, and I know that you're... I, I've seen a few videos of, um, of you using these, uh, well, normal instruments but in unusual ways and unusual instruments... In even more unusual ways and um, I, just, I, su- I suppose the question is, are you still co- I mean yeah the synths and things like that, but in terms of say ethnic instruments and or you know just um orchestral instruments so, you know classics or western instruments, are you still collecting them you know and using them um, in in your comp- in your compositions
1: playing them incorrectly absolutely <laughs> <laughs> What what I think it what I think it comes down to, Jamie, is I'm a I'm a percussionist and a, a drummer. So yeah, I got that. <laughs> you know, I'm like the kid where the teacher makes them sit on their hands in English class because they're too busy, you know, tapping the desk yeah, the whole time. Away. So yeah. all you have to do is put a, a giant um, contrabass in front of me, and I'm going to get about ten different sounds out of it. And if I can throw a microphone on it, then that's you know that's like my percussion ensemble almost. <laughs> Plus, I don't know enough about ethnic non-percussion to pick up something like a tambour, for example, and play it correctly. But what I do know is I can bow it, so I'll tune it to an open Ds and then just mess around with it. And as an added benefit, I do know a lot about world percussion instruments. I took all kinds of classes in school, East Ensemble, African Ensemble, Steel Drum Ensemble, like... Um, celtic ensemble so i learned all the traditional beats and i know how to get all the sounds out of the drums and the shakers and the little cymbals and everything and usually when i end up using them on something like tomb raider for example i know how to make them not sound african let's say if i'm playing an african drum i just play it as a, as a drummer who knows how to play a drum, but I avoid all the cliche kind of African rhythms or, or slaps or things like that. So it's sort of a, like a, a watering down of the globalization of all these percussion instruments. Mm-hmm. So I can get a lot of interesting sounds. It's a lot better walking into my room and pulling out one of the, I don't know how many instruments are in there and sticking it in front of a microphone than you know clicking through contact presets trying to find some sample drum that somebody did. So it's all about... Making something unique and trying to get an interesting sound with a combination of as much live stuff as i can i 've always tried to do as much live performing and recording as i can
0: it's interesting you say that i mean I, I saw a video of you um, i, I, I don 't even know what it was I, it definitely wasn 't an instrument. it looked like some kind of um, kind of neo sort of bird cage kind of shaped metal grill sort of thing and you were bowing it i don't know whether it was sort of around the time of dead space or not but that you were bowing across it and it had this awesome sort of gritty kind of uh, you know sort of sound and i was like that's perfect That's.
1: Amazing. i think i know what you're talking and, 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 about because i yeah. i think that that was um <laughs> it was so it was fencing We have chickens and and ducks and turkeys and Ah, geese and everything else, but I had had put up some fencing in the backyard, uh, and I had this leftover spool of maybe, you know, four or five feet of fence, but it was rolled up in this tight little kind of bundle, and I thought, man, look at all those... Different things of metal, and so I ended up putting it on top of an aluminum garbage can lid that sort of acted as a resonating chamber. And then that's I bowed it, the,
0: yeah, that's it. I yeah, remember and seeing it, some kind of yeah, garbage can, Yep, the lid that was on the it. Bottom. Yeah, yeah,
1: so it was like a spring <laughs> reverb, basically. It was this giant spring that you could excite with a bow. And the cool thing about it, you know, you bow any little different part of all these different metal. Uh, you know, tic-tac-toe kind of combinations, and you would get different sounds every time, and then it had this amazing reverb sort of built into it.
0: That's incredible. Right, okay, so, cards on the table, if you, okay, so you've got however many plugins that you want versus all the instruments, Stroke. Non-instruments in inverted commas, but you turn them instrument in, into instruments. Sure. <laughs> in terms of in terms of recording, well, if you had to choose between using plugins and using, re, you know, miking those up, what would you choose?
1: Normally, I use the plugins <laughs> for processing, like. Um, You know, if I need 15 compressors because of 15 different channels of something, I'm not going to spend the money on buying 15 outboard compressors. I'll use uh, like a UAD compressor. When it comes to making sounds, I mean, some things I just don't have. I I I don't own you know a set of five Timpani that's going to cost me thirty thousand dollars, or I don't own like a vibraphone. I really wish I did, but I don't have one, so I have to use the VST versions. Of those and I'm always dissatisfied with the way they sound Um, (laughs) just because you know I went to school for that stuff so I know the difference between I mean I think I have like seven different sets of timpani mallets and I'm gonna choose a different kind of mallet depending on the part and what I want the timpani to sound like and how aggressive it needs to be and you basically get like two hard and soft or something like that you know same thing with with harps or with vibes or any sort of percussion instruments I always will do it live if I can. And even with strings, uh, I was working on, what was it? Tomb Raider, I used my wife's old three-quarter size violin that she played on in elementary school. And I did a lot of chicka-chicka-chicka-chicka-chicka, just kind of, it was all detuned and nasty. But then I worked on another game. I think it was Murdered Soul Suspect, that's right. A game that no one's probably ever played. But I wanted to get this really violent, just out-of-tune, aleatoric, tum, 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 you know, kind of psycho times ten sound from uh, from a string quartet. And I didn't want to have to worry about getting the players and going to the studio and spending a day explaining what I wanted because literally there it was just going to be a bunch of note noteheads And um, I just ordered, I ordered the contrabass for Tomb Raider. I had ordered the contrabass, the big stand-up bass in the orchestra, off of Amazon. It showed up in this giant box. Sounds amazing. <laughs> so I just ordered a, a viola and two violins off of Amazon as well. And I still use those all the time, even if it's just sustaining a note and then doing you know three or four passes of that note being sustained with a little bit of different vibrato or no vibrato. Uh, the strings, this is for textures and, and rhythms and things. There's no way I'm going to mic my cello and try to play a melody because it's just not going to sound... Good. I am not a string player, but I can use things. The real instruments are percussion and textures. If you're talking about harmonies, melodies, and themes, then I either get a real player, which I love to do, even just live soloists that'll record themselves at home. Uh, And if there's no live budget for an ensemble, then I resort to MIDI, but it is a last resort.
0: Just going on the the live players thing, Um, what's it like, uh, 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 you know, being there, at um, sitting in a recording session with with live players? I mean, what was the first time um, when you actually got to, you know, sort of stand there in a recording booth or, you know, in, in the studio and see, you know, an orchestra sort of perform your work? What was that first time?
1: Um, well, the very, very first time, I think I was straight out of school, wow. and I was recording in okay. in Seattle, which is the n- northwestern, most northwestern part of the United States, and we were recording in this little tiny studio. We had way too many instruments, mostly strings, I think, crammed in there. And all I really remember about that session is I was just incredibly nervous and had butterflies in my stomach the whole time and was trying to keep my hand from shaking too much because, you know, the baton would just amplify how nervous I was because it was just going you know shaking <laughs> the whole time. I mean, and I conducted in school. I went to school for this and I conducted a couple of orchestras and things, but it's just like anything else. Um, you have to do it for a pretty decent amount of time before you can kind of overcome that stage fright. And that was, you know, 20 years ago. So... I I spent more time doing it, and um, I think probably one of the biggest things that blew me away, um, let's see, was it Dead Space 3, or was it The Order? I can't remember the first time I went to Abbey Road, because both of those games, I was working on them at the same time. But um, I did Command & Conquer, that's right. I recorded that at Air Studios with the London Philharmonia. And I was not conducting. I know, it's such an amazing... Studio. I wasn't conducting because uh, Jim Hannigan was a shared composer on the gig, and we agreed it would be better to have a single person conducting so that it wasn't a lot of confusion. But to hear the orchestra, and I think this is the very long answer to your question, hearing the orchestra play the music, especially an orchestra like that, in a studio like that, and not being up on the podium where I'm a bundle of nerves, all I'm doing is sitting behind the console with a score in front of me and listening to him and thinking, because I went out and stood on the podium before we recorded. It was like, this is where John Williams recorded the first Harry Potter. This is where you know Hans Zimmer recorded, just fill in the blank. And it's the same band. It's the same musicians. Yeah. And I even saw, um, like on some Star Wars documentaries, where uh, it would show recording the score. And I recognized some of these players, you know, a flute player or an oboe player. Wow. Um, you know, a first violin. They'd show the soloists, and I recognized yeah. them from the... I'm like that's them right there. I mean, that's I don't crazy. remember what their name is, but I know exactly. And they're playing yeah, my but they're, music. But they're
0: playing your thing. <laughs> they're playing your. Music. I know,
1: and it's wow. just first of all, first, first, you think that you're not worthy, and um, you're a little embarrassed because your music isn't as good as John Williams or <laughs> oh, Hans Zimmer. Come on. <laughs> well, no, really. I mean, come on. And but, but then the thing is, the, the downbeat happens, and they start playing, and it sounds incredible. It, it's literally just. And I won't say effortless because there was a lot of work put into putting up the mics and the studio acoustics. But on my part, an effortless, instantaneous soundtrack starts pouring out of the speakers. Like, no editing, no mixing. It just sounds like a finished soundtrack. Bigger and better than anything I could have done at home, you know, with a couple of soloists and some MIDI. And it really is a, a, a transportational, miraculous life-changing never will forget kind of yeah. moment and it's hard to put into words you know it's just um it's just incredible
0: well i'll tell you something else that's uh, probably equally hard to put into words uh, on on your part because you've actually met john williams haven't you
1: Oh, my gosh, yes.
0: <laughs> you, I, I seem to remember I, I saw a clip. Uh, uh, you, uh, well, actually, no, I think on your YouTube channel you talk about it. Yes, uh, Al- Alan and I talked bit. about it, and, yes. Uh, yeah, and, and um, what was it? You, you met him for 15 minutes or something like that? And, uh, and, it, and
1: seemed, just, it seemed like about 45, but yeah. He, wow. literally, he literally it was the end of a, 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 a practice session before a concert that night. And we stormed the stage. This is Alan, basically my, my best friend now, who was my band director when I was in high school, but we we were both long past that when we went to see him. And we stormed the stage. He got in because he said he was a band director and a former student was with him, and they were doing some Indiana Jones things, and could they check out the rehearsal? So we stormed the stage and just introduced ourselves, and he put his baton down and sat over, like, in this in the viola section, and just talked to us for fifteen minutes, and we are the ones that left. He was it, he was acting like he could have sat there all day, and he was just making the nicest comments in the world, and he remembered both of our names. It's like <laughs> wrote to Jason on the CD without asking me what my name was, and we excused ourselves, and he's like, "Oh yeah, of course, of course, I'm I'm sure you need to go somewhere or something." I'm like, "Right, like we need to leave," but I we walked off the stage and I had to sit down because I was starting to get dizzy and I was afraid I was going to fall over. It was, it was so amazing. He couldn't have been more gracious or, oh, he's just such an amazingly kind man.
0: Did, did you feel obligated to leave just because you're in his presence? You like, like you're sort of almost, you know, taking up his time. Yes. you, You just said there, like, you know, he, he seemed quite ready to talk even more. But did he feel like, this is John Williams, this is a busy man, you know? Like, yes, we've yes. To, we've got to go. <laughs>
1: and, and, and when we left, we walked by uh, the dressing room that had his name on it, and the door was ajar. This is like something from a movie, but the door was ajar, <laughs> and there was a, a magazine, like a local magazine or newspaper person was sitting in there, like, tapping their pencil on the desk, looking around, because he was 15 minutes late for their interview. <laughs> oh.
0: Well, that's, I'm I'm guessing that was a, well, you've just kind of highlighted, this is a redundant question, but a a career highlight, clearly.
1: Yes, yes. And we still, Alan and I still talk about it. We have pictures that we took, or we, you know, he shook our hand and we got pictures, but it really was, the, the, the moment, a lot of it I've forgotten because I was so, just sort of. (laughs) In in such (laughs) awe-stricken panic, right? Oh, please But I I remember we were leaving the stage And I said this in the YouTube video And anyone can go and look at it I think it's called like the one Where we met John Williams or something like that On Audio arc. But I was walking off the stage And I turned around, again, like in a movie um, Because I remember that he had been hired to write The score for Harry Potter And I spun around real quick and just came back real fast and said, uh, Mr. Williams, I, I, I meant to tell you, I read that you're working on Harry Potter and and, and that you read the book. I'm, I've read all four of them because that's all that were out at the time. And I love yeah, them. Yeah. I couldn't imagine anyone doing a, a, a better job with the score. In my mind, it's sort of like this Witches of Eastwick meets Home Alone. And those are two of my favorite scores that you've done. And I babbled it, I'm sure. It took me two seconds to say that whole thing. And all he did... He sighed and nodded his head and said, "Well, Jason, I'll do my best."
0: I tell you what, it, it, it's one Come thing it's someone talking to on. you, but when they when they say your name, I, I know. Don't know what it is. It's when they, it's when they we've referred to you by your name, not you know, not I don't know, not buddy or you know, friend or something like that. When they say your name, it's almost like you've got that kind of personal interaction, and it's just. I mean, I, I, you know, I've, I've met a, f- a few people, you know, I, I mean, talking to you is, uh, is quite an honour, I'll be honest. But, um, you know, I've spoken to a few composers and it's just, you know, when they say, well, you know, Jamie, um, I've thought about this. And you're like, oh my God, he said my name. <laughs> and he just, he just said my name. That's crazy. I know
1: And especially with him him. I mean Oh my gosh He had just conducted A two hour rehearsal And we introduced ourselves once And this was 15 minutes later And he still remembered my name Yeah Yeah Yeah
0: What a legend So, going back to you and your composing. Now, in terms of when you've been composing for... You've been given a gig and you're composing away and there's a back and forth about, you know, sort of, oh, this track's okay, things like that. What are the most ridiculous descriptors of what a company wants that you've ever had? Now, you hear sometimes... From composers about companies saying, "Oh well, you know what? This could do with a little bit more sort of you blue, who, but with more <laughs> vuvuzela and yeah, a bit yeah, more you know African drum, um, but in a three-four time, you know, like what are the most sort of ridiculous kind of I was going to say requests, but yeah, descriptors that you've been, or I should say feedback." that you've been given on, on the track? Have you had anything that you've just thought, uh, what? <laughs> you know.
1: I wish oh, I had some good stories, because, deal. you know, I've, I've read I've read stories of sort of weird left-field requests or descriptions or, or feedback um, coming from some place where you just don't even understand what they're talking about. I guess I've just been really lucky, because usually... The audio director is the one that I'm dealing with, um, like, one-on-one. And they're usually either a musician or they're really comfortable around musicians in the sense that they don't have to say uh, maybe a little more uh, rotondo with the flute and the mezzo piano and ar underneath the basso continuo. You know, we, we never talk technical terms. And this is actually something that I noticed with John Williams again going back to the concert. His feedback to the orchestra when when they'd finish a piece or they'd be, you know, they'd start like 15 seconds of Star Wars, he'd be like, "Okay, yeah, we all know how that goes." He would say things like um a little more passion from the violas in bars X to Y. He never, and you're talking, this is in Pittsburgh, it's one of the, at the time, I don't know about now, but at the time, the highest paid orchestra in the country. Really, really, really amazing first class musicians. He could have been as technical as he wanted, but he never used any musical terms. It was all about the emotion. And I love that because that's how I always talk about music with anyone, Um it doesn't matter if it's a guitarist that comes over to play some shredding lead sounds for me or if I'm talking to uh, an orchestra in London. It, I always talk about emotion rather than music, and that's sort of the way the audio directors always treat it as well. I, I did have um, one, I think. They graduated from music school as a performance major with a certain instrument you know, 20 years ago, so they, they felt like... They needed to draw on that and after a couple of back and forths, um, you know, I would, I would, whatever, you know, expressive musical terminology they would use, I would reiterate it in emotions. Okay, no problem. We'll make that a little more tense here and then sort of lighten the mood over here and go a little more floaty and, sus- and, and suspended on the back end. And then they started doing the same thing as well because let's face it, everybody understands emotion. You know, if yeah. you say tense versus floating, uh, it's pretty straightforward. Plus, there's an added benefit of giving me a lot more room to run around and play in. If I'm if I'm focusing on the emotional idea of being tense, as opposed to you know move that G sharp to a G natural and do this and do that. And I, I have had like notes. Uh, composing via notes or, or recomposing, yeah. I should say via feedback, usually it's not for games it's it's like if I'm doing a trailer album or or a commercial or uh, some library music and I usually don't have an extended relationship with folks like that because it just doesn't It's it's not fun for me to you know, have people sing me the melody the way they think it should go I would prefer yeah. to be able to tweak it on my own <laughs> yeah
0: yeah. i don't blame it but it's interesting you say that because i mean surely um well i say surely i mean there's a place for everything but you know you mentioned their emotion uh surely using uh more emotive uh words is a more sort of pragmatic way of delivering what a lot of people would use in more um you know sort of musical language uh shall i say uh you know th- like you've just highlighted there someone could say oh well you know use some you know cold legno here or you know like oh we, we need more just to be able to bring it back to a more base level and just say well how about you know bring it more here um i, I, f- I find that sort of fascinating i think it's sort of Brings more heart to it, maybe, I guess. Um,
1: it does. Yeah. And I think it makes it more fun, uh, especially if you're standing in front of an orchestra or you're in the booth giving notes to the players. It, you know it's it's funny because i've I grew up with musicians all through school, and I know so many of them. I'm such good friends with them, but a, a lot of them, you know, their personalities are very much sort of tied to their instrument choices. So if you have like Alan, my friend on YouTube that we do the drunk on music stuff, he's a trombone player and he acts just like a trombone player. He's he's very like over the top funny and, and outgoing and, uh, you know, kind of like the way you'd have a, a horn section in a band, like with drums and guitars and bass and a singer and a keyboard player. Then you got some trumpets and trombones and maybe a saxophone. Yeah. Those personalities all intermingle. And if you're on the stage, you don't need to give them a lot of direction, even with your baton. I've done a lot of sampling sessions where we've just had brass sitting there. And it's like, you're just kind of giving them little indications here and there. Now, if you have strings or woodwinds, for example, they're a lot more kind of part of the sheep, uh, part of the flock, because they've come up their entire lives learning to blend They're supposed to, especially strings, like their job is to blend. They're not supposed to stick out. And, you know, personality-wise kind of follows the way the instruments work. And you really need to dictate when you're conducting, or if you're giving them feedback, be very specific, not musical terms, but just even emotionally specific about where you want the strings to do this or to do that, or they'll just sort of kind of fall apart. Not, Not in a bad way, I'm not criticizing them, but it's just, you know, if you don't give them a cutoff... It won't be a clean cutoff where brass just they're they're self motivating because they play like you know the trombone player he does the the solos in the big band or whatever it's it's really interesting how the psychology of music and and musicians uh, works which is completely off tangent of of what you were talking about but um, I just thought I'd add that in.
0: No, you're talking about tangents. I mean, how many tangents have I gone on? I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't worry about that. Um, I guess it, we're just doing speak, one
1: long podcast tangent. That's fine.
0: We 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 are. I think I think this is just. I think this is contrary to a lot of the uh, the podcasts that we've uh, we've done before. Because I I think I did sort of design it like this because I know that um, with a lot of podcasts, it's you know you talk about what your you know your latest work is and things like that. But I just wanted to. Especially with you, I just wanted to free it up a little bit and talk more about you know you and um, sort of more general questions, I I, I guess, Um, rather than like I said at the beginning, you know, so oh, you know, how did he get started? Oh, you know, what are you working on? You know, things like that. I'm more interested in (laughs) exactly the the, the general composer. Um, Yeah. Again, speaking of composers, now I remember you saying. Now I'm going to apologize to Pete here. Uh, profusely, my my co-host, because I remember hearing that it, someone asked you who were your favourite contemporaries in the video game music uh, industry, and you mentioned three people, three people that Pete loves, two of which, at least two, I think, uh, Pete has um, either met or has well, I know he's met Jessica Curry. Uh, but um, he's had uh, conversations with uh, with others. Now you mentioned Jessica Curry, uh, Austin Wintry, and Gary Shyman. Right, uh, right. Now Pete is a huge fan of all three, and <laughs> and I almost feel bad that I'm the one doing this podcast. I feel like he should be doing it because obviously <laughs> you, you've, you've got. I think arguably you've got more of a short shared ground in terms of uh, in, in terms of taste, but. Um, what is it that you love about them? I mean, what is it that you love about them as composers? What do they bring to the table that you admire?
1: I think a lot of it is is their range. You know, if you think about um, Jess, the first thing I heard from her was A Machine for Pigs, which is dark, yeah. you know, crazy sound design. And then you go from that to like Rapture, or some of the other more recent choral things that she's done. And she just has a really, really wide range of styles. And uh, Austin, geez, let's not even talk about <laughs> He can go from, from quirky to, you know, like drum and bass to horror with babies crying in the background. And it's the same thing for Gary. Even though he gets asked to do a lot of the darker stuff, like some of that destroy all human stuff is incredible. And he wrote this beautiful but terrifying piece for the last um, Bioshock. that had, like, the Star Spangled Banner or some sort of a hymn was in it. I don't remember what it was, but it was in a major key, but then there was all this other stuff going on in, well, in another he, key.
0: He did, um, if I'm correct, if he did um, Bioshock Infinite, there was the um, Will the Circle Be Unbroken, which was the choral thing at the beginning. Um, but, and, and that was in the magic key.
1: Um, yeah, that and that may that may, that may yeah. be it. I know they use a lot of source yeah. stuff, but I just yeah. so I like their music first of all, and I love hearing different things from them. It's always inspiring. Um, but I think uh, probably half of it is I know them all really well and I've known them for a long time now and I just really like them as people. And it's sort of that thing where one informs the other. So I like their music because I like them as people, but I also really like them as people because I like their music.
0: <laughs> yeah. And also as well, Jessica, and um, you, you, you're probably already aware, but uh, Jessica runs a uh, radio show over here now. Uh, for yeah, video yeah. game music as well which, um, w- you know, like your YouTube channel I mean, you're going through the um, the technical side and, um, you know, going through how to you know, sort of um, the nuances of composition um, and she's um, bringing video game music to, to the masses I mean, I know that video game music is you, year on year getting there I mean, you look at uh, Classic FM over here um, you know, pieces from Final Fantasy VII and Skyrim, and you know, and all sorts right. Are, are, are right up there. Um, and and um, so, so we're clearly on this awesome sort of incline um, towards sort of mainstream um, um, attention. Um, but I just, I think, I think that's why it's so important that people like you know uh, yourself, just Gary Shireman, and you know, and uh, contemporaries. Um, of this generation, and 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 you know, uh, sort of, so it's so important to try and drive not just the uh, the medium, but the the upcoming composers that want that want to uh, you know get ahead in the industry. I think it's something quite wonderful, really. Um, I love
1: uh, social media too, and and YouTube. Uh, er- everyone is so much more relatable and contactable with computers and phones, and the internet. Uh, And I've always loved teaching. I, I was originally in college, I was an education major, because I wanted to do what Alan, my friend, who I've been talking about before, who was my band director in high school, he inspired me to be a band director. But I realized that learning all those different instruments, trumpet and especially the wind instruments, was just, was just not me. So I switched to composition. But I still really love the idea of, of helping people, especially. And I, I taught drum lessons and some piano lessons and stuff in college and a little bit afterwards. But um, a lot of my YouTube channel, the whole reason behind that was the emails that I get from people just asking simple questions that, that are easy to answer if, you, if you've been there. But a lot of people haven't been there. And as opposed to just, you know, typing the same answer over and over and over and over and over in hopes of being able to help people understand what I mean, it just seemed a lot easier to, to do a channel. And then I could really get nitty gritty and break down some of the details. I've always been a believer that it's the it's your hands, right? It's the it's the artist. It's not the tools. So I have no problem telling, you know, what Plugins I'm using, or what speakers I have, or how I mix something, or I've just—I feel like there's so much room for so many new composers, especially in games. It's just such a growing industry that if there's anything that I've learned um, through my pain and 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 success and non-success from time to time, how that all ebbs and flows. If anyone can learn a little bit from that through me sharing it, then. I'm all for
0: it. I think what's really important with that, though, is that a lot of people, it's all well and good putting things on, on paper, you know, in text, how to do something. But what you're doing is you've got this visual education. Uh, you know, obviously, universities and colleges are, um, around the world, you know, they're, they're utilizing this. But what you're doing is you're, you're guiding them through the process rather than just putting in some, you know, FAQ um right right right. go you know in text format um you're actually sort of you've got this you've got the video of the screen that you're working on whether it's cubase or whatever and you're actually guiding through through how to to do that and um and i think that's so important because i think visual learning is is so important i think people learn um far well i'm not saying everyone but a lot of people learn far quicker just by actually seeing what you're doing rather than having
1: a manual and sure well and being able able to hear it too you know yeah Um, exactly i think what frank zappa said talking about music is like dancing about architecture there's only so much (laughs) you can say you know let the music play uh, bypass exactly. the plug turn it back on, you know, pull it back up, change the sample, show how the release times work, you know, being able to hear all this, since ultimately it is an auditory medium, I, I feel like really helps. And honestly, my only regret with this YouTube channel is that I haven't been able to keep timely updates just because I've gotten so busy, and it, it's hard. It's hard to be able to make time. I have plenty of things to talk about. I just got to find the time to do it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah but i don't think i, I don't think people are going to mind that i mean people know who you are they're going to know that you, you're busy on other projects and things like that what matters is i that, appreciate that well a you've already done you know quite a number of videos already you know explaining various uh concepts and uh strategies and techniques and so on and the fact that you're wanting to continue with it is uh is also really really important as well and i i think it's a rarity, is ultimately what I'm trying to say. Um, I'm not trying to say, oh, yes, every composer should do it. I appreciate I think I remember you saying something about uh, some composers would rather keep um, their strategies secret. And I respect that. Sure. Uh, I think, yeah. that, you know, if, if they've got their thing, you know, their kind of, um, their tell, you know, in a poker kind of sense, uh, then... So be it. I I, I won't begrudge them that. But I think it's wonderful when people are willing to just sort of, you know, it's like the, um, you know, the masterclass videos that you, you know, you get adverts on YouTube for say Hans Zimmer or, or, um, you know, Dead Mouse or whoever, um, you know, saying, all right, I'm going to give you a masterclass on that. That's great. You know, open it up. Open the platform up.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah.
0: Anyway, um, I think I've taken up um, enough of your time. <laughs> I think we're over <laughs> an hour now. Now, uh, you know, I'm supposed to include some music here and there. Uh, but, um, but anyway, um, all that's left for me to say is uh, it, it's an absolute honour. I, I, I will say, uh, Jason, and uh, I know this is going to sound a little bit sycophantic, but um, to the listeners out there, um, I apologise if it sounds very lovey-dovey, but um, Jason is... Uh, one of my favorite composers when i um when i first bought a, uh, a ps3 i actually got uh, dead space on on the day uh, that i got a ps3 um on the wow. strength of a rec- uh, well it was on the strength of re- uh, recommendation uh, by a friend um and um i uh, i i played the demo i i'm left-handed and um I like to move the camera with the left stick and move with the right, which is contrary to most games. Uh, most, third- right, most right, right. Uh, so I had to buy a. Uh, I had to buy a, a special controller in order to actually play Dead Space originally. My oh wow! Brain is, my brain has made sense of third person games now, so I can move with the left uh, stick and whatever. But um, your music was. Um, I've always been a fan of horror music ever since. Um, you know, of course, uh, Silent Hill Two was a was a huge. Uh, influence on me. Um Oh yeah, and, uh, of course. And, and and of course the Resident Evil series and um Clock Tower and um you know and, and, and other things. Uh, Siren, uh, the Siren series. Uh Project Zero. But um but your music uh was Absolutely fascinating to me, and reading about your compositional process even more so. So it's an absolute joy uh, <laughs> to talk to you tonight. So thank you very, very much. And uh,
1: oh, you're uh, very uh, welcome, <laughs> Jamie. It's totally my <laughs> and pleasure. Hope,
0: uh, and I hope that everyone listening has uh, has enjoyed my rambling. So uh, without further ado, thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, you want to say goodbye, Jason?
1: Yes, absolutely. Thank you for listening, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Okay,
0: there we go. Thank you very much, guys. See you later.
2: the power